Entrepreneurs Over 40, Episode 50 with Ann Tracy talking about the business of art. I think taking a marketing class at your community college would be a really wise thing to do. I know a lot of artists just don't want to have to do that. And it's that's fine if you don't want to sell your work. But if you want to share your work with people, then I really think it behooves you to have some background in it. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills. Our guest today is an artist who works in a variety of media, including digital art, photography, painting, encaustics, video, and theater. She's a native New Englander who grew up in the main towns of Freiburg and Cape Nettick before her family moved south to Massachusetts and then west to Colorado in 1969. After decades of living in Colorado, Wisconsin, and California, she's now calling Rockport, Maine home with her husband and Bob the Cat. Her fine art has been exhibited from Japan to Maui to New York City to Spain and Budapest. Without further ado, Anne Tracy. Anne, can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from that intro and bring us up to speed with what's going on in your world today? Sure, Greg. It's a pleasure being here. I'd like to say that when I look back, all the experiences that I've had in the past have been cumulative to what I'm doing now. I started out kind of not knowing what I was going to do as a young person, which many of us do. I went to a community college where I was awarded a scholarship and was very interested in, I was doing modern dance and a little bit of theater at the time. And I really fell in love with modern dance. However, as modern dancers can tell you, it's no way to make a living. (laughs) And so after doing that for a while and working the, you know, odd office jobs that were available at the time for someone like me in Colorado, I was having back problems. And so when you're a dancer and you have back problems, you know, it's time to regroup and pivot to something new. And so I decided that I probably could do radio news because I had a decent voice that would sound good on radio, I thought. And I also thought about journalism as being just a particular style of writing. And and I've always been nosy. (laughs) So I've always asked people lots of questions. So it's turned out to be a beautiful segue for me. I went back to the community college that I had gone to for just general ed things and went to a specialized program they had run by people in the industry. And I was able to, this was in 1976 going into 77, I ended up meeting the guy who was the general manager of KTLK Radio in Denver. And at that point in time, the National Organization for Women now had filed an injunction with the FCC because there were no women on the air in Denver. So the guys knew they had to hire some women. So I uh, met this guy at a convention and we got along real well and he sent him a demo tape and he liked it. And then I did an on-air audition against another gal who was auditioning for the role who actually had worked at a PBS station in Boston. And so I thought, well, that'll be an interesting thing for me. I'm originally from that area 
it would be so ironic, but come to find out they like my vocal style and writing style, I guess, better. And I ended up doing that for a good 10, 11 years in the uh, Denver market. And then we moved to Wisconsin where my husband is from. And I worked there for five years. And then we ended up moving out to Northern California. We both had wanted to move back to Colorado where we'd met each other, but there were no jobs for him there at the time. And he was a plastic injection mold designer and also designed big die cast dies for the automotive industry. And so he was able to get a job out in the San Jose area, which was where we first lived. And then we ended up going up to the Sacramento area when he decided that he wanted to become an independent contractor. And he entrepreneurially started his own business and I was still working in radio. I thought, well, this is great. I can work in radio and help him set up his business. And then I can go back to school because I had been going to college a little bit at a time working full time. And I really wanted to focus and complete that BA in theater and uh, communications. So I did do that and then worked in the radio market for a good 10 years. I always ended up working morning drive, which is financially more lucrative, but you have to get up at three in the morning to do that kind of work. And I've always been a night owl. So after 10 years of having to do this crazy thing where I would have to set clothes out, set an alarm clock, just hit the alarm clock, jump in the shower, jump in the clothes, grab the coffee as I went out the door. Because if I try to stop at any point in time, I would start fiddling around with things and lose track of time. So it was crazy. So that's when I became a PR consultant. And being a PR consultant gave me a lot more free time to do things in the evenings because when I was doing my radio job, I hardly ever did anything in the evening. I was in bed by seven o'clock. We had no social life. And all of a sudden it was like, I'm working nine to five like other people. I can have a social life. That was lovely. But then I wanted to do theater again. And I was looking at the theater companies in Sacramento, the kinds of shows they were producing And it was all really old, boring stuff that had been done 20 times before. So in my ignorance, which had I known what it would take to do this, I'm not sure if I would have done it, but I had no clue. And I just decided I was going to start my own theater company. And I did. And we did uh, new work and work that was either a Sacramento premiere or a world premiere. And we did that for 15 years And then what that did was it really opened up the theater community to doing new kinds of work. And also I was a big non-traditional casting person. So I was constantly casting people of color, African-Americans, Asian-Americans into roles that a lot of people would normally put white people in. That didn't work for me because I thought, no, this is not the world we live in now. So I started doing that, and that really helped expand opportunities for a lot of actors in the Sacramento area. And so when I saw all these changes coming around, and I saw some funding drying up for the theater company, running theater companies is a hard job unless you have a lot of uh, funding available, because your ticket sales will never really be more than 25 to 30% of your income. The rest of the income has to be donations and 
state grants and foundation grants and that sort of thing. And I got tired of writing those grants, really tired. And I wanted to focus in on my own art because I've always been an artist, although um, I had an innate sense of skills, which I think was highlighted and heightened, if you will, by being a theater director. Because when you're dealing with design issues, theater people have to think of it on a 3D level because you have bodies in space. And what you're doing is you have to make sure the bodies are moving in space in something that makes sense for the character and what the character wants, as well as highlighting the psychological drama that's going into the scene. And that gave me a really good basis for going back to art, which I did when I ran a a co-op gallery with two of my friends in Sacramento for about three years. And that was when my husband and I decided that we wanted to move back. I wanted to move back to New England. I playfully say that the clams of my childhood were calling me. It's a good tagline. I came back and uh, decided to really focus in on the art part of my life rather than on the theatrical side of my life. And I think it was a good decision because it gave me more time to myself. I had retired from being a PR consultant and a photographer, but all the skills that I had learned doing radio news, working as a PR consultant and working as an arts administrator, that all set me up to become an artist slash entrepreneur, because that's what most artists are, really. Mm -hmm. If I were 30 years younger, I'd probably be having a day job I'd be doing in addition to this. But now that I've retired from the world of consulting, I can kind of set my own hours, which is nice. And it gives you a little more time to have a little more breath in being creative, have a little more time around it. Let's back up just a little bit. Did you come from an entrepreneurial background at all? Did anybody in your family growing up have their own business? Not really. My mom had always worked for other people. And my dad was only around till I was nine. Okay. It's funny because he and his second family lived in here in Maine. And just a couple of few years ago, I caught up with my brother from another mother. (laughs) And he was telling me that later in life, dad did have some entrepreneurial urges in which he tried, but I guess he wasn't all that good on it with it, but that wasn't part of my background growing up. So it's kind of amazing that I just kind of up and decided to do this. Yeah, I would say so. What are some of the skills that have been applicable that you learned as an, a radio announcer? The skills I learned were how to write a good news release mm-hmm. because you wouldn't believe some of the news releases I would get from PR agencies and ad agencies that I would just <laughs> rip up and throw away because they were being silly about things. And I'll never forget having guys from the radio ad sales department come in and say, oh, look, what my client is doing with this, make a nice news story. And me going, no. <laughs> Sorry, it won't. They can buy an ad if they wish. Why don't you sell them an ad to advertise? If it wasn't news, it's not news. And making those editorial decisions has helped me be a better news writer, if you will, 
when you're doing an event, what I always did was act the, ask the actors what towns they were from. Because we're in Sacramento and there are lots of towns in the suburban area. And I would send separate news releases out to the little papers, the little towns with the headline, uh, Folsom actor Sarah Smith plays big role in new play at Beyond the Presidium Productions. Nine times out of ten, they just run with the news release itself because I had learned how to write, how to make sure that those five W's were all in the first paragraph and not bury that lead. I think that's a really important thing for entrepreneurs to uh, think about is maybe taking a journalism class at a community college, or if they're thinking about maybe going into the biz and they know they're not going to be able to hire someone to do PR for them is to do it themselves, but to be smart about it because the PR atmosphere now has changed so much. There are fewer and fewer of those small little papers out there Mm -hmm. that are willing to print that kind of stuff. The social media world we live in now, it's so hard to figure out if the stuff you put out there is really being seen or not. I think that is probably the most difficult thing is to figure out which platforms are your best, as far as social media goes, are the best bang for your buck as far as doing PR on. And I I mostly did only PR for my clients because a lot of nonprofit groups and small businesses, and they didn't have very much of an ad budget so we tried to do as much as we could PR-wise to get some notice on the different programs and ideas that they were trying to float than buying an ad. It was far more cost-effective. But, you know, the thing about PR is you could have everything all set up and be almost certain you're going to get that front-page article. But if there is a big, big three-alarm fire that happens that day, you're not going to make it. <laughs> As one of my you know? other guests said, if it bleeds, it leads. If it bleeds, it leads. Oh, yes. It's really true as far as uh, TV news goes. TV news is hard to crack. Actually, he was from a TV background. That was traveling around. Oh, was he? Oh, no. Yeah. So that would make sense then that he would uh, have that attitude about it for sure. Mm-hmm. I guess that the most important skills I learned were organizational skills how to back time events. If you're doing an event in August, you need to start planning for that event in January. It showed me the importance of doing that because when I was running the theater company, I had to, by January, say, of 2006, we had to have our ducks in a row for what we're going to do in the 2006-2007 year coming up. There was a lot of advanced planning you had to do. And you also had to do that with writing grants. You had to make sure that you had enough time between when the grant was due and when your project was going to happen and you could get the right kind of documentation because most grants, you have to quantify how that money was used and what it produced, what you thought it would produce. Now that brings up an interesting question. Mm -hmm. What percentage of your time do you spend, and I hate to say this, but I'll say it, doing art because you could either be doing photography, digital media, acrylics, and what percent is either advertising or administrative 
Yeah, that's that's always the burn. I mean, think every entrepreneur, freelancer probably spends, I would say, half their time dealing with admin, PR, marketing issues, and then probably 50% of the time on their work work. And I think that that was probably pretty true in the world of theater. And I'm with the years that I've been doing this as an artist, as a fine artist, I would say it's about the same. Mm-hmm. You, you end up spending about half your time and you have to realize that, you know, it, unless you um, have some people who can help you with it, that if you're doing it by yourself, now this is where the interns come in. <laughs> oh, to find a PR intern to help me out. That would be one of my next things that I need to do because I find myself um, getting lazy about social media marketing. Every day it's going to be something new, it seems. You probably could do that on LinkedIn. And Tracy, oh, now looking yeah. for a, uh, P- a social media intern. That's what I actually should do is do that on LinkedIn. But that will have to happen after I unpack all the boxes here in the studio. I just moved into a new studio space that was just finished. It's high over the garage of our house in Rockport. But it's really the biggest space I've ever had. And I can't believe how I jammed all this stuff into the smaller places I had. I guess it's knowing how to pile things up effectively. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've got a really nice wide open space. Oh, I do. I so love it. I get lots of great north light. So what's a typical day like for you? Oh, a typical day uh, for me is I'll get up and do my physical therapy exercises. I uh, fractured my humerus bone, and it certainly is funny, Um, end of January. And now I am in the really painful part of the PT stuff. So I'll get up, I'll look at my phone to look at my calendar again to see if I have any early morning appointments or anything and then do my PT. Then I'll have some breakfast and then wander into the studio. In the past, I've just first started out on the computer mm-hmm. and um, looked at, okay, the calendar stuff, what's upcoming, what things do I need to prepare for the coming week? I've started trying to do this now with this new space is when I first come in, I'll kind of look around, check my phone to see what's on the calendar and then sit down and write three pages. It's a way to clear things for yourself and also to set intention for the day because I've been really lazy about that. And I think uh, doing that will help me be a lot more productive. And then I'll go back to the house and have some lunch. And, and then a lot of times I'll have afternoon appointments I have to get to. I tell you, this PT business is taking more time out of my day than I really like. I can imagine. At what point are you doing your craft, your art? And then what Mm -hmm. point are you doing administrative stuff? What I like to do with that is kind of break up the administrative tasks so it doesn't feel like I'm chained to my computer in the desk. Okay. So I'll, I'll try and make a hierarchy of needs, if you will. Okay. Take something from Maslow and figure out what I need to be doing now. And then, work on some pieces and then give them a rest because there are a lot of times you get to a point with a piece you're going boy i know i need it needs something else but i have no idea what it is yet 
So you put it away. And I have artist friends who have done that, who have put pieces away for years. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand that because I have a tendency not to really realize what I've, the, the highest meanings of some of the pieces I've worked on until it was a couple of months later. And I look at it and go, oh, my gosh, now I get why I did that. It was a culmination of these other experiences. And I was reacting to this experience in the real world. Okay. Let's talk about a piece that you've recently done. I believe it's Flowers for Ukraine. Yes. Let me let me show you. I okay. did this lovely print. And it was kind of an interesting story. Here, I'll... You, you're seeing that? Yes, we are. This is Flowers for Ukraine. 50% of the proceeds from this print are going to United Help Ukraine, which is a nonprofit organization that helps with medical and food issues and a lot of other programming. And the, the U- people in the Ukraine really need our help now. As a matter of fact, I was also invited to um, donate a print to uh, a big art sale that is coming up the end of the month at the Coastal Land Trust in Daramascada. And um, I'll be blogging about it um, within the next couple of, within the next week, probably um, to let people know what's going on. And um, if anyone's interested in buying a print, the prints are only $20. The Flowers for Ukraine was a digital art piece, correct? It, it, it is. And there is a story behind it. Okay. This uh, friend of mine, and she's a Facebook friend. We've never met face-to-face, but we've been Facebook friends for years. And she's actually purchased a few pieces of my art. She sent me some flowers, some photographs of sunflowers she took this past summer. And it's been sitting, those photos have been sitting in my inbox. And I keep thinking, what am I going to do with them? And then when the vile monster sent his shock troops into Ukraine, I realized what I was going to do. I used those photos. She had sent me small JPEGs and I wanted uh, better quality. So I had to upcycle them in the special algorithmic software. And then I saw some photos of the... In Kiev, there is this wonderful victory statue for when they first won their freedom mm-hmm. that stands in the middle of town. I cannot remember the name of it to save my life. But if you looked up victory statue Kiev, you would find the history of it. And if okay. people wanted to go to my blog, um, which is antracy.blogspot.com, um, they will be able to find some information on it as well because I yeah. kind of detailed how I decided to make this. I, I felt so frustrated, at, but this art project was a way for me to put that energy into it and to be able to offer it in service to the people of the Ukraine. I got a lovely little email back from the folks at United Help Ukraine that said, thank you so much for thinking of the people here. And it's, yeah, we have to. We're all human beings on the same planet. And until we begin to realize this, Mm -hmm. we're going to be in a world of hurt. Now, how are customers finding you? That's the hard thing about this, being an entrepreneur business. 
they are finding me from me going out into the community and doing art shows, basically, and also from my efforts at social media and getting the word out on different things that I'm doing. I think every time you make contact with someone and you're able to talk about either your art or the service you provide or whatever it is, it, it could set something up down the road. Finding customers is a really difficult because when you're selling something that is so subjective, like fine art, mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of people who really love that print that surprised me. I didn't think they liked things that were that abstract. My cousin-in-law, as a matter of fact, Um, And bless her heart, she sent me $80 more than she needed to. So now we can donate that $80 to United Help Ukraine, which I I thank you, Karen McKenzie. (laughs) I had to think about her married last name. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. Yeah, Karen, you're the best. What online platforms really kind of move the needle for you? Oh, man. That's hard because it, it's all been so kind of gradual over the years mm-hmm. that it's hard to pinpoint one particular event or show or thing that I did. But I think one of the best things I did was to join several groups of artists. I'm a member of a, a gallery down in Portland that the Union of Maine Visual Artists runs. Okay. And I'm also associated with a group up here in Knox County with a group of artists that are here. And then there's also another group of artists that I joined with in Freeport. But many of these galleries, you have to be able to volunteer to gallery sit because that's how they're holding administrative costs down. And you're able to offer your art for not an astronomical price, but a price that people could afford to pay. I think that's important to make sure you're out there in the community. And I think doing those three things has helped with what I've been doing. We had a situation last January where the guy who was originally set up to do a show at the gallery had to back out. And ironically, three months later, not it was sadly three months later he ended up passing so I think we're eventually going to do his show without him here and I said well what um one of the guys who was instrumental in forming the Union of Maine Visual Artists in the 70s Carl Pittori was a male artist he did male art as well as doing other genres Mm -hmm. and male art is basically you take a postcard you make some art you mail it to someone Oh, okay. I, um, I thought this was going a completely different direction. <laughs> no. Male art is something that artists have done to get their work out of the gallery system and just to share it. And I, I often think that postal employees have got to get a, a great kick out of seeing some of the wacky things. I, I know when the pandemic hit, one of the ways for me to jumpstart my creativity again, because I was really in a bad place, was to start doing male art and just doing really wild, wacky things that really helped feed my creativity. And then I was able to start doing work on more serious pieces. But I suggested to them, I said, why don't we do a male art show and have it open to anyone? 
and people will send us their mail art and then we'll do a next December, we'll do a special fundraising auction of these pieces. So they'll help to um, support and sustain the gallery. That next, let this past December, it wasn't going to, everyone, that's when that next wave kind of hit mm-hmm. with COVID up here in Maine. And it, there was no way we were going to do it. As a matter of fact, the show that was up at that point in time was a virtual show. So we did it as a, um, we, used, we used those pieces to do a virtual online uh, auction. If somebody has talent and Mm. knows how to create their own art, what's their next steps, kind of? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Well, as they say, you should never quit your day job right away. (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) Keep that day job. Because visual artists are very similar to actors, be they equity stage actors or SAG movie actors. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of commercial work in my day and never a union for various reasons. But it really amazes me that only 10% of the people who are already, and it, it's, a, it's a rough climb to get into one of these unions. Mm-hmm. When you get into the SAG and the after unions for acting, only 10% of the people who are in those unions make their entire living from their craft. So that means there's 90% of people who have already attained this level of professionalism that still cannot still have to have a day job. So I think we need to remember that it's no bad thing to have a day job. Most artists and actors and creative professionals do. There are a lot of people who think that if they could just find a way to use use their energy mm-hmm. and become a graphic designer. Say they're artists, but they want to do something in the arts to make money. They could become a graphic designer. Well, those jobs are few and far between in this day. Mm-hmm. So I would say if so, probably one of the best things someone can do if they're, they're wanting to do that is there are, there are some um, good books out there on, I think they should read entrepreneurial how to start business books, because that's basically what you're being an artist. Mm-hmm. It's if you're interested in selling your work, there are some things that you, you need in life, but other things people don't think you do need. And it's funny because I think having nice art in your house can really give you a sense of your own self in place. And it helps show people who you are, you know, by what you have in your walls. I would have people read some books. There is a very good book by an art critic by the name of Jerry Saltz, S-A-L-T-Z. You can thank me for this later, Jerry, who has written a book about how to become an artist. And it's funny and it's true. He has a, a great sense of whimsy, if you will, and knowing the art world as well as he does. And he's a guy who spent was an artist and then didn't make it to the big time and threw that out the window and became a truck driver for 20 years and then he started writing i think for the village voice at first just doing a little art reviews and he's a good writer he really is but his book is is great about that 
But another thing they could do too is I think taking a marketing class at your community college would be a really wise thing to do. I know a lot of artists just don't want to have to do that. And it's that's fine if you don't want to sell your work. But if you want to share your work with people, then I really think it behooves you to have some background in it. You'll also be in a situation where you'll meet some people and who knows, you might be able to meet someone who will trade their PR services for some of your artwork. Because that's another thing to do. A lot of my personal art collection I've uh, developed by trading my pieces with other artists that I know and love. I'm always willing to trade for stuff. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs are. If you can give someone a, a, a beautiful painting that they love and ask them to please give you, you know, 30 hours worth of time for whatever you need to be done, I think that's definitely a fair deal. Okay. Now, what surprised you the most about being an artist and an entrepreneur? What surprised me the most? That I'd still be doing it. A lot of times, there's something about being an artist that when I look back, first I was a modern dancer, then I was doing theater, and then I had that hiatus doing radio work, and but then went back to the theater stuff. And I think that um, what has surprised me the most was the joy that I still find in making beautiful things to share with people. I, I really love that part of it. I really love. And I love going to art shows and talking to people. As you can see, I'm kind of a blabbermouth, so um, I can talk a good long while. <laughs> Improvisational talking. What's been the most difficult part of being an, an artist and an entrepreneur? <sighs> the most difficult part is thinking you're not good enough. You're not creative enough. You've lost your edge somehow. I think we all, I think the society we live in puts more of an emphasis on money in our culture than it does on art. And a lot of times when you, you're trying your best to, to get word out about things and and you're not making the sales you think you should make at these shows you're going to, a, a lot of it is, can be very discouraging. It, and it's very it's the same way as, as actors have to. I, I keep going back to the acting thing because that's really my other area of expertise. It's like getting knocked down for so many roles. It's like, nope, nope, we don't. You audition for something, you think you're doing great, and then you don't get called back for the part. And it's kind of, selling artwork is kind of like that too. It's like, you like it, you like it? Look, hey, you want it? No, you don't like it that much. You don't want it that much. Okay, fine. Bye. I'll just be moving along here. Yeah, it's, it's that self-confidence thing, I think, happens to, and the imposter syndrome I think is maybe a little higher in artists of whatever genre they may be working in than it is for other people. We have to keep reminding ourselves that we do know what we're doing. And if we're listening to our instincts, and that's another thing, listening to your intuition is really important too. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's keeping your self-confidence up um, and just getting yourself um, revved to get out there every day. Okay. And um, one of the things that surprised, I'll go back to your other question there. One of the things that really has surprised me, too, is that um, I, I'm so driven to do this work. It's like there's there's this force that's kind of going, yeah, you have to do this. Yes, you have to do this. And I'm not quite sure how to analyze that or if, or even if I need to analyze it. I don't think you need to as long as it's not a problem for you or your family. Exactly. Or Bob the cat. Yeah, Bob the cat. Yeah, it's my husband and Bob the cat and I, that's our small family now. My husband... Um, is also, after having been an entrepreneurial mold designer for many years, he um, has gone back to his first love of music, and he's playing in two different bands, which uh, the other difficult thing about being an entrepreneur is having the time to do it, Mm -hmm. taking the time away from your family sometimes when you have a big project you've just got to get done and I'm sorry. No, no, I have to stay here and do this. Um, I think for me, it's been good that my husband has had uh, a creative outlet because he's going to band practice these different bands he's playing with uh, twice a week. So it means, oh, good. I get to spend longer hours in the studio. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a real difficulty is I think whether you're an artist or you're a CPA with your own business, I still think taking the time away from family matters can be really hard. I could see that. Now let's get ready to wrap this up. Is there a piece of software or, or app that you find indispensable in your business? Oh, Photoshop. I'm beginning to think that Photoshop is a Zen practice because I don't think you really ever learn the whole program. There are so many different things you can do with it. Mm -hmm. And the way I use it is probably totally different from the way other digital artists or photographers use it. I know that I don't like certain programs. I'm not a fan of Lightbox. I'd much rather do my processing of my photos in Photoshop than Lightbox because I don't like, this sounds so funny. I don't like the way they have set up this way of putting your files in different places. It's like, I want to know that I'm going to put the file in the file that I paid them because I have a tendency to set up files for the different jobs I'm shooting. So if I'm shooting headshots for a group, I'm going to just have a file right there and I'll make up other files. So I um, can do some batch processing in, in Photoshop, like to get all the raw files down to JPEGs, I'll, a lot of times I'll use a batch process for that. But I also grew up with uh, PCs. We used to have to type in, this is way before the Windows interface, when we were typing in DOS code to get to yeah. programs. And I think knowing that made me set up my own ways of doing things that after this point in my life, I am loath to give up now to learn I had to learn a new video program three months ago so I could do this little video for my husband's 71st birthday. And it was so frustrating because it's like, okay, 
I can learn how to do this. I can learn. But what I liked about it, it wasn't as dictatorial, if you will, mm-hmm. as some of these other programs. It's called Wondershare. And I By found Phil it Mora. very similar to, I had been using Premiere Pro. Mm-hmm. And it was similar enough to Premiere Pro that I was able to not have to do too many tutorials to be able to do this very simple video. It was a 10 minute video. I had people using their phones and making videos, wishing him a happy birthday. And I I found some, his brother was really a big help to me, sending me family photos and that sort of thing. It's a good piece of software, Wondershare. Um, There is another piece of software that, uh, and I use the Photoshop not only for doing my digital work and photography, but when I do paintings, I have to be able to photograph them and have digital pieces that are high resolution. If I'm doing some shows and I want to send out that file to a, a media outlet, mm-hmm. if they're a print outlet, then hopes that they will use it. Um, and so having some skill sets to know how to photograph your own work is really important and to be able to know the difference between um, the high resolution and the low resolution and what you need each for is really important. Our phones are getting so cool with their cameras in them that you can almost shoot it with your phone, but then there's some work that you have to do within some kind of a software program in order to get the photo looking the way it should be looking. The one program I think that's the most important for me has been Photoshop. The other one that's been important um, has been, well, the Wondershare, and that was just for a personal project, though. But I think probably Photoshop and that would be probably the that. And you know what else is really important, though? You have to have a good word processor. Okay. Because if you're going to write news releases, you want to have something that will catch your grammar mistakes, your spelling mistakes, because you don't want to look messy things sent out to media means that you're not setting up a good relationship with media. And that's what you want to do. You want to set up a good relationship. So when you have a story that makes sense, the media will go with it. Okay. Because they've learned to trust you. They know that you're not going to try and hornswoggle them into trying to run a, a, a non-story as a news item. And that's why you have to be. You have to think to yourself. Okay, so now my um, project to uh, do the prints mm-hmm. to raise money for Ukraine that had a great um, hook to it because it was here's an artist doing something to help people who are are living through this horrid war over there. And that was the hook to it. But if I had just decided that I was just going to make this image and not do anything with it, it's like I had to be able to do the 50% donation to make it a decent news story. That actually brings me to another point where as an artist, it's always good to try and work with other nonprofits to help them. I am now at the point where I don't like to, I I am going to donate hundred percent of the profits from that, the sale of that print to this other group that is raising money for Ukraine. Right. But generally 
I will only donate work to nonprofits if they will agree to give at least 50% back of whatever they can auction the piece off for to the artist and have the other 50% go to the um, nonprofit group because artists need to be paid. Yeah. And I think that's something that we need to uh, talk about more in our culture. It's funny because musicians have no problem asking for money, but it seems like actors and artists and visual artists seem to have a harder time. And photographers don't seem to have a problem asking for money for their work. But there is some of us who are going, well, I don't know. Is it worth that much to someone else? You have to remind yourself of it. But I only will donate to art auctions that will share some of the proceeds with the artist. Because I think that's the fair thing to do. I would agree with that. Because artists get asked all the time for work. Mm -hmm. Now, what's the best way for somebody to contact you or check you out? The best way to contact me would be to email me at Mm -hmm. A-N-N-T-R-A-C-Y, and then the number is 51-AnnTracy51 at gmail.com. Okay. And from there, I can send them links to my blog site and my sales sites. Right now, I just have a blog and two sales sites. I have a sales site at Fine Art America and also one on Etsy. Tracy? And Tracy Fine Art. Okay. On Etsy. And that's most of my work that I have physically in the studio. A lot of the work on the Fine Art America site is digital uploads that you can have canvases printed on you can have tote bags you can they do all these product things it's like wow you can get a phone case with my art on it that's pretty cool (laughs) the best way for them to do it is just to contact me and then i will point them in 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 directions that they okay lastly what's the number one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners oh be kind to each other And realize that none of us knows what other people are going through. And and someone's life could look picture perfect. And you wouldn't necessarily know that they're having a hard time dealing with who knows what kind of issues. So I think the, the best advice I can give anyone is to be kind to each other. And realize that we need to treat each other the way we'd like to be treated. Okay, that's good advice. Well, Ann, that's a wrap. Thank you for being a guest on Entrepreneurs oh, Over 40. I'm so pleased to have been a guest for you, Greg. It was a wonderful experience. Check out the newly redesigned Entrepreneurs Over 40 website at www.entrepreneursover40.com. While you're there, sign up to get updates from us. Also, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any other episodes. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.